Hello and welcome. My name is Robert Buffard and this is the Robert's Thoughts Moviecast. Today, uh, I'm here with my dad. Dad, thanks for coming on. Thanks for letting me come on. Uh, and for those who don't know, his name is Mark, and I feel like that would be a good thing to throw out there for the listeners who just want to identify you by a name other than dad. Uh, today, you're on so we can talk about the Shawshank Redemption. Normally, I do a big group of movies, but I like to slow it down sometimes and just focus in on one specific movie and dive as deeply as possible into that movie. Uh, my dad was on a couple months ago to talk about about time, and that's what uh, we did the same thing then, where we just took a deep dive into that one movie. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and I thought, what's another great movie to do it for? And Shawshank is perfect, because Tim Robbins, lead character, Andy Dufresne, his birthday is October 16th, and this podcast will be coming out on the 14th. So it's close enough that we're going to honor his birthday by talking about his most famous movie. Um, You're just like a very, very casual movie watcher, so... Like, you don't know, you know, you don't have a deep, vast knowledge of movies. So, as someone who's just casual, would you say this is his most famous movie? Can you think of any, him in anything else? Uh, he's in a baseball movie, right? Yeah, which one? Is it The Natural? Or no, it's... No, uh, no, no, no. It's not for the love of the game. It's, uh, oh, Bull Durham, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in Bull Durham. And I, as much as I love baseball movies, I don't really love that movie. And so... Um, I know he's in it, but I really, I don't, I haven't seen Tim Robbins in much of anything else, honestly. Like you said, I'm not a fanatical moviegoer like you are. And so I know he has had some bit parts recently. Wasn't he in uh, the Green Lantern or something like that? Yeah. And that's not even so recently anymore. That's maybe like 2011. Um, Mm. but yeah, I've, I've seen Tim Robbins just in a few things uh, apart from Shawshank and I especially love him in Mystic River which is that's a movie you might eventually like it's a it's a Boston movie um, by Clint Eastwood it has Sean Penn so Tim Robbins he does something completely different than Andy Dufresne in that one as well as in uh, the Hudsucker Proxy which which is completely different than than Andy it's a Coen Brothers movie and I really love the Coen Brothers um but my point is that Shawshank for a long time was the only movie I'd ever seen him in. And to see him go out and do these other ones, obviously they're older movies, but for me to discover them after discovering Shawshank, it just makes me appreciate him even more because of how great he is in Shawshank. But enough about Tim Robbins in general. Let's get more specific and talk about the Shawshank Redemption. Um, this movie came out in 1994, uh, directed by Frank Darabont, starring obviously Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. This is two years before I was born. Um, but obviously you were, well, <laughs> you were alive when it came out. What's your first memory of seeing Shawshank? I don't remember Shawshank coming out, first of all. And when I do remember hearing about it, I remember hearing how popular it was. And I sometimes have this thing where when a movie is like so popular and widely loved i kind of don't want to see it Mm -hmm. like i've never seen titanic all the way through or or much of titanic 
it's that one's not actually that good no but i mean everybody yeah. titanic you yeah. know or avatar maybe it's just james cameron films <laughs> i don't know and um obviously i saw star wars when it came out but i was in high school so anyway when everybody used to talk about shawshank i was like oh yeah what's the big deal okay it really doesn't grab me plus the idea of a prison film had no appeal to me whatsoever I think the only other prison film I've seen um, was um, uh, Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, I haven't seen that one, no. It, it pales in comparison to <laughs> this. And, of course, most recently I saw Just Mercy, which is kind of a prison film. But um, a prison film had no appeal for me whatsoever. But uh, one night I was watching TV and as everybody knows Shawshank I don't know if it still is but at one point it was you could probably watch Shawshank almost any night of the week somewhere mm-hmm. on TV and um I came on at some point I didn't see it from the beginning um but I came into it and something about it caught my attention right away and so I started watching and I watched it all the way through to the end and I thought wow was I ever wrong about this movie and then I found that every time it came on, of course, I would I would watch it. You know, we've talked about this before. The way I can tell what my favorite movies are is if it's on, no matter at what point, I will watch it, um, no matter right. how many times I've seen it. So um, it was, I had probably seen it a dozen times without ever having seen the beginning because yep. this is how I saw it. And then one time I said, I, I don't know, so I was flipping through the guide, and I said, oh, it's going to be on tonight at 9. You know, so I said, I'm going to watch it from the beginning. And um, over time, to this day, if I'm flipping through, which I rarely do anymore, and I see it's on, uh, I can't look away. So I was, I would, I would say I was at least 10 years after the fact before oh, wow. I saw any part of it for the first time. Wow. Yeah, I my my story with it is directly tied to yours because obviously growing up in your house, um, I learned a lot about you know culture, sports, life, whatever from you. And one night the TV was on and Shawshank came on and you you said, "Oh, you have to see this movie." Um, and I don't remember how old I was, what part of life I was in. You know, I think it was high school. But that's the first time that I saw any part of it. It came on. I, I honestly have no idea. I think it was towards the end. I think we watched the escape scene, and obviously, full spoilers for this movie. The rest of the podcast. Um, but I think we watched the escape scene, and then I realized I was so great. And then, typically, it came on again, however much later. And then I ended up seeing it all the way through. And since then, I've seen it a million times. Um, and much like you. I had it on today. I, I put I put in the DVD and watched it from beginning to end. I realized I haven't seen it all the way through many times because of the exact reason that you were talking about. I used to flip before streaming services and all that, and obviously anytime Shawshank came on, I have to watch it because it's just one of those movies that anytime that it's on, like you said, you have to sit and watch it. I have it at... Number seven on my all-time movies list. Um, I recently gave my top 20 movies on the Sif Pop Writers Room podcast, and I had to 
look long and hard at where I wanted to place each each of my favorite movies, and I settled at Shawshank being number seven. Um, and number seven, that's obviously super, super high praise. And I would assume you have it pretty high up there as well, right? I just flipped to my list of all-time favorite movies. Yeah. And it came in, or it comes in at, and I haven't looked at this list probably in six months either, number seven. No, oh. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, so th- there, it shows exactly how much this movie, you know, means to us and how, how much we love it. Um, when we talked about our first experiences with About Time, we talked about how, you know, it impacts how we think and it impacts the way we think about the world. And we love its messaging. But I think there's something just completely different about Shawshank that makes it so rewatchable. Um, because it's not just, it's not, I don't want to compare it to About Time, but that's just the other episode you and I did together devoted to a whole movie. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a different type of rewatchable. And I think at this point we can get into just the story and the movie in general. So just a quick um Summary at the top of IMDb, it says two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. So then do you have let's just hear some of your general thoughts on the movie. Um, What what makes it so that you want to go back to it? What makes it such that every time you see it on TV, you stop and watch it to the end from wherever it's at? Well, it's a long movie, right, to begin with. Yeah, it's fairly long. It was two hours, 22 minutes. Okay. And then when you watch it on TV, they pepper in so many commercials that it takes at least three hours. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. every time. That's not an exaggeration to watch it. Yeah. So what's going to keep your attention that long? And, you know, I know you want to go through a little later and identify some of the uh, most iconic scenes or whatever. But there's there's really not that many scenes that grab you um it's not like great special effects or anything like that um and while the dialogue is um fascinating at times it's it's not like you know there's there's no love interest you know there's no romantic tension anywhere right um it's not an action movie so what keeps you coming back and to me it's the relationships um particularly the relationship between uh, Andy and Red, the friendship, mm-hmm. um, the characters, um, each character is appealing in their own way. Um, even the warden, you know, yeah. who is uh, the, the ultimate bad guy. Um, but there's something that w- makes you happy when there's a scene with the warden, even the same thing with with Hadley, the, the, the terrible guard. Um, but really, it's the relationships, the interaction between the inmates, uh, most specifically the interaction between Red and Andy. And there's something about that friendship that, to me, um, I just want. I just want it. I, I want to see it. I, I, I can't get enough of it. I just, I, I just want to see them together and you know, navigating prison life together, even though there's really not anything big and spectacular going on. But the growth in their friendship, the growth in each of them as 
human beings, um, watching them age as they journey on through prison, um, but doing it together. And that's why it's, it's almost sad, and th this is what they want you to be, uh, it's sad when um, Andy escapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that speaks to, like you were saying, their relationship, because you form such strong and enduring and special and formative relationships that when that kind of relationship breaks, even though Red, he's going to be fine in prison, he's institutionalized at this point, and Andy, right. he's going to be more than fine down in Mexico, there's just that that sadness that, that lingers over all of it. Um, maybe like emphasis on bitter and bittersweet, because while there is the sweetness, it's difficult for both of them. And I do want to get into just the themes um, and the meaning of everything towards the end of the podcast. So maybe we can save a deeper discussion about that for later on. Sure. Um, but as for my thoughts on the movie, while you were talking, when I asked you, like, what, what makes you want to go back to it? I was just thinking about how this flows perfectly. You know, mm. it starts, Andy goes to prison, then he meets Red, you know, then his struggle with the sisters then how he uh gets himself into that group and then uh how he starts the library meets tommy grows angry with the warden and the warden grows angry with him and then he d decides he needs to escape you know everything just flows perfectly into each other and it keeps up just a, a perfect pace and a perfect energy all the way through even though you think about the beginning. The beginning is tough for Andy. Um, like like I said, when the sisters are terrorizing him, that's all awful. You don't want to be in that position at all. Um, and then towards the the end of the second act, when he's when he's working on the library with with all of his friends, you realize it's not an ideal situation in life, to put it lightly. But he's making the best of it, and he has these friends. You know. It's not, it's not so negative anymore. It's lighthearted. I think everything. What I'm trying to say is that I think everything flows together so perfectly that when if you turn it on at a certain point, you're not necessarily going to think, "Oh, I already missed the best part." Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and that's that's a really good point because it almost seems contrary to what I said earlier about there's not a lot of like really compelling scenes, like. Um, uh, in, in a lot of movies that you and I quote back to each other, you know, a certain scene, oh, I love that scene, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's uh, Steve Martin and John Candy waking up in the hotel bed together, you know. Um, in The Jerk. Or, of course, in, in The... Uh, no, it's in... Uh, or Plains Trades, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the scene, countless scenes in The Jerk. Yeah. Um, or, you know, um, scenes in A Few Good Men, like, of course, the final courtroom scene. Um, but there are other good scenes. It's, but um, I'm always looking forward to the next part that I remember, right? And I enjoy, and and it does kind of flow and keep you there. And I think part of it is because, um, again, it's 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 the relationships. They're constantly interacting with one another, um, in in a in almost like a closed environment. Obviously, in the prison. Mm -hmm. They and, and I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself or what you want to get to later, but they have a community and you enjoy watching 
this Shawshank community navigate um, life behind bars. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I agree with your point about just that community and watching them navigate their very specific life situation in Shawshank prison. So I'll, I'll actually add just one or two more things. One is that there's a, I think I already touched on this, that there's a tonal shift um, that I never really specifically noticed until I watched it today where, um, you know, the beginning is all dark for Andy when he doesn't have any friends and he's navigating this new life that he doesn't even deserve to be in. But as soon as, uh, pretty much as soon as Tommy gets there, or maybe a little bit earlier when he starts working on the library and starts uh, doing taxes for all the, the guards and everything, that's when you feel kind of settled in. Do you know what I mean? That's when it's like, all right, Andy's settled in. We're settled in as the audience. He's he's found his little niche, his niche, however you pronounce the word, here in, in prison. So now we can just, we don't have to worry about him, you know, being harassed by the sisters anymore. He has that protection that he needs. Um, obviously, things end up going south at the end of the movie. But that's where you're able to just kind of, I feel like, cross your arms, cross your legs, sit back and be like, all right. Here we are. We're at we're at this comfort part. We don't have we don't have anything to worry about. I just wanted to point out that that section of the movie there because I explicitly noticed it during my most recent watch. Yeah, and he at that stage in the movie for the first time, he's wearing this pair of glasses and a sweater, mm-hmm. not what you would expect somebody in prison to be doing. You know, Brooks, the old man, is always wearing a sweater. Right. And he's got the bird in the pocket, Jake, you know, and stuff. And all of a sudden, Andy now is kind of like become a, a veteran. And he he does seem to be comfortable. Um, and, and, you know, he's when he talks with Tommy, he doesn't talk to Tommy like on this excitable level, like everybody else is hanging on Tommy's every word. He kind of engages Tommy as like a father right. figure. You know, and that's just not the impression you have of Andy in the early part of the film. And I think, you know, you were asking me what my other observations are. I wasn't sure if I should save this till the end. But what I love about the movie is that it it makes these inmates human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, you, when you think of people in prison, you think of, oh, dangerous bad guys, nothing but violence and horror. And that's why I always thought, oh, I don't want to watch a prison right. movie. I don't want to see that yeah. environment. But, but they're human beings, and they have a life, and they learn to navigate that life and get along. Uh, and, and you're wearing spectacles and a sweater, and, and you've become a father figure to another inmate as you grow deeper with your friends. Um, and I think that's another part of what makes it compelling. And you're right, there is a definite shift at that point where you're almost like, Okay, because you don't know what the ending's going to be. Right. So you're almost like, okay, I'm, I'm okay with Andy being in prison now. He's got his friends. He's found his niche in the library. Um, he's mentoring this kid, and, and, and it's okay. Yeah, and I, I will get into, I do have the humanizing the inmates. We will get into that a little bit more because I have a few things to say about that. Um, but e- even with Andy, you know, he's all settled in. He has his hair slicked back because... You know, it was all chaos for him in the beginning, and his hair is all just whatever it is at the moment as he's, you know, learning who to be in this in this environment. But like you said, he's all settled in. 
Got his hair slicked back, got his spectacles on the end of his nose, reading Tommy's test, teaching him his, his ABCs, all that. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I didn't really have another specific place to bring up that specific kind of uh, tonal shift. Um, but with that, let's get into the characters. And we've already talked a lot about Andy. I guess there's a few more things we could say about Andy. We could say he's a perfect main character. I think he's very sympathetic because <laughs> no one wants to go to prison for being wrongly committed for a murder. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Not only is it that like specific thing that you can relate to, you can relate to being just a fish out of water, um, being the new kid in town, quote unquote, um, trying to find your place. Um, and like we, like we were just talking about, we go on the journey with Andy of finding our place, finding his place. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason why I really love Andy. Um, and there's not much to dislike about him. He's just a perfect, uh, like we were saying, he's a comfort. You can metaphorically snuggle up to the character and be like, all right, I'm here to go on this ride with you uh, for the rest of this movie. I think they try to make him unlikable in a way. Really? I love that they're trying to, you know, portray him as the cold-hearted banker who was not emotionally involved with his wife, um, you know, who was, you know, educated and arrogant and straight as an arrow. Um, they 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 didn't want to want you not to like him, but they tried to create a picture of him as somebody on the outside who would not have been likable. Like not the kind of guy right. you would have wanted to cozy up to, you know, go out and have a beer with, be best friends on the outside. Um, and the way that he faces uh, the unfair, the injustice uh, thrust upon him and this fish out of water and the whole environment of prison and so on, um, he he becomes more and more likable. Even though Red liked him right away, um, not everybody else did. But, uh, you know, by the end of the movie, they're sitting around telling Andy stories, yeah. you know, um, he's become sort of a legend to them. So, yeah, he definitely um, becomes, uh, yeah, you can identify with him, but you're, you're certainly rooting for him and pulling for him. Yeah, I see what you're saying, because at the beginning, in like the, the court scene in the beginning, it kind of tries to posture him or set him up as like this... Um, like you're saying stone cold i don't what does the judge say about him i don't see an ounce of humanity in you or something like that something like that um it tries to position him as that kind of character but maybe it's just because i've seen it so many times at this point where i don't feel like that works because i know that's not who andy is i know there's a lot more to him but I don't really have much else to say about Andy because I feel like we've been talking about him the whole time, talking about the movie through the lens of him as a character. Do you have anything else to say about him? Well, just that there's a part of me that wants to think that Red is the main character, not Andy. Yeah. Um, and, and not just because he's the narrator, um, but, you know, Andy is sort of an um, instrument in Red's own growth and development. Uh, and he makes the wise choice of befriending Andy and, and he can't help it because he likes him right away mm-hmm. but um, 
you know, there's there's sort of a redemption that takes place in red. Yes. Also, not just Andy. And I guess we're kind of segueing into the red yeah. character now. Um, so, um, yeah, maybe we should just keep going there. Yeah, because a lot of times, I've, I've mentioned this before, maybe in my writing or in my podcasting, where when I have so much experience with a movie, when I've seen it so many times, I often don't think about like what it means or why I like it. Um, and that was kind of the case here with Shawshank. Because I never really noticed how much of a redemption arc Red goes through. Um, not that he needs redemption in the sense that when you meet him, he's this awful character that you eventually learn to love. Kind of like, I know you don't understand the reference, but kind of like a Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones type. Um, but at the beginning, you know, Red is a convict. You find out that he actually did murder someone. You know, so he does need to learn how to get better. Um, how to how to change himself and see the world in a different way, and you're right. Andy is kind of that instrument that through which Red learns more about himself, um, and he he doesn't no longer does he go into the parole board meeting saying, "Oh yeah, I've I've changed. I see the world in a new way. I I think that I've learned my lesson." You know, he doesn't go in that way anymore. He at this point, he's almost cynical about it at the in his last uh, parole board meeting. But I think he's also just accepted where he is, and he's accepted uh, as himself as part of this community of, of inmates that we were talking about, as part of his community of friends. Um, he's going to do the good that he can in this situation. Um, and of course, the, the the narration lends credence to the idea that Red is the main character, because the biggest stuff happens to Andy, but Red is the one telling the story about Andy. Yeah, and I, I think it's a little different. Red is actually likable right from the beginning. Yeah. You get this sense that he's already almost institutionalized. I know in his first parole board hearing, he's probably got hope that he can say the right words and, you know, you know, um, impress the board and, and get released or, you know, put sent out on parole, get paroled. But... Um, he's likable right away and he's already sort of made his peace with what he's done and where he's at. Um, you know, uh, didn't do it. What are you in here for? I didn't do it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And, um, and yet there is clearly a growth and transformation and redemption that takes place in him also. Um, he might've been just some interesting, nice guy who died in prison if it had not right. been for for Andy and uh or like Brooks you know eventually was released or paroled or whatever and then didn't make it on the outside like Brooks didn't and if he didn't have Andy's invitation he he probably wouldn't have made it you know he would he 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 would have taken his life like like Brooks did so um uh, there's definitely a redemption that happens in Red's life too um, I guess because Andy is the inspiration for it, you'd still have to make Andy the main character, yeah. technically, which is fine. Um, but Red, um, Red to me, I like Red better than Andy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, not that I don't like Andy, but I like Red better than Andy. 
I have two things uh, in response to what you were just saying. One, all of that what you were just saying is why I love the the mirror of, you know, at the beginning or towards when Brooks first gets out, you see him go through his life outside of prison, and then you see how that ends, and then it's almost shot for shot when when Red gets out. Right. But I love how at the end, you know, he takes the opposite path in the forked road. Um, and like exactly like you were saying, Red had the chance. And it, if it weren't for Andy, it would have been likely that he would have taken the same road as Brooks. But I think my favorite shot in the movie, um, out of its millions of great shots, the shot going from the guns when Red is looking in the shop window but then ending up settling on the uh, on the compass. It's just showing even more surely that it could that his story could end the same way as Brooks, but he has that hope that Andy gave him that Brooks was, Brooks was never able to have that helps him to to carry on. Um, and I, I just love that whole thing. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is Morgan Freeman got nominated for best. Uh, actor in a leading role for the Oscar so maybe that settles the debate that may or may not actually exist do you want to move on to the warden yeah what do you have to say about the warden well the warden is a great character and it's kind of fun watching him age through the movie as well Mm -hmm. I don't know if you realize you know when um, Andy first arrives and all the inmates uh, that arrive with him line up and the warden gives him his talk you know where uh he says um what does he say your 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 soul belongs to god your ass belongs to me or something <laughs> like that yeah um and um he's kind of this young guy but by the time he takes his life he's salt and pepper hair they've just just aged him well and um he there there's something i don't know that that makes you of course, you don't like him at all from the beginning um, and in every scene he's in, but you want more of him. At least I do. I like the interactions between he and Andy. I like that um, even though he's the warden, in some ways you feel all the way through that Andy is kind of playing him, mm-hmm. um, that, that Andy almost has the upper hand even though he doesn't have the upper hand, although in the end he does have the upper hand. Um, I, and, you know, the, the same, you know, my thing with, with movies is um, when, when you get a, a character that's so compelling, you can't picture this actor as any other character, at least I can't. And as I probably will say on every podcast I'm on with you, that's to me what makes actors really great is when from movie to movie to movie, you don't see Tom Hanks. You see Forrest Gump or, you know, the Apollo 13 astronaut or the guy on the desert island, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I just, this this guy is a warden. He's just a perfect warden, you know. Yeah. He's a perfect man for the 40s through the 60s. Um, and, I, I, you know, I did go back and look up to see what other kind of stuff he's in and everything. And he's a great actor. Um and he looks the part and whatever other stuff he's in. But um, I love the actor. I love the character. And I didn't see his ending 
coming. Um, but as much as I liked him, boy, <laughs> was it good to see? <laughs> he ended that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's great about him, I think, his relationship with Andy, at least specifically, is the warden is so one-tracked mind. You know, he's so honestly, he's just so corrupt slash. I don't want to say evil because he's still a very human character it's just right the corruption it's not the epitome of evil no, no it's corrupt yeah he's just very he's, corrupt and yeah. all he's thinking about is you know his money laundering and asserting his power and all that while andy is able to be more patient um and see the long game when the warden is just like look at this i got a super smart former banker who i can help launder my launder my money and if he steps out of line even a bit i'll i'll throw him in solitary confinement for two months um let's move on to his uh number one henchman hadley uh i think i like clancy brown a lot i honestly haven't seen him in a ton of stuff um but he's he's been doing a lot of voice acting throughout his career and he does voices in uh some of the star wars cartoons and that's fun to see or fun to hear at least i recently watched those and i was hearing i was like oh i, I know that voice talking to darth maul um, and it was just a lot of fun for me being such a big Star Wars and Shawshank fan. But I think we can talk about this here instead of in the in the thematic section. Do you think there's anything good or redeemable about Hadley? Because there's complexity to, to the Warden, but I don't know if there's any complexity to Hadley as a character. You're right. I think the Warden is driven by greed. And uh, his greed can actually have a human side in a way. Yeah, right. Um, where I think he actually likes Andy. You know, when he says, after Andy comes back from his time in the hole, he says, uh, I missed Good having you around. Yeah, yeah, and, and he really means it, not just because now I can get back to raking in money, but he, he generally likes Andy. Whereas I think Hadley is just an angry person. Who uh, also just who he is. desires power. Power is the only, like, he loves showing the prisoners, I'm above you, but there's also the anger. But I think that's, even that, to me, it seems like it's driven by his anger. Mm -hmm. Like, when you go to the scene when they're uh, doing the roof, and he's complaining because his brother died and left him thousands of dollars. You know, well, now I'm going to have to pay my taxes on it, and the kids are always going to want to go for a ride in the car, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What what kind of idiot is this? He's 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 just mad and angry at life, and unfortunately, sometimes people like that wind up in positions of power, which gives them an opportunity an to vent their anger. An outlet, right? And I think that's where he is. I don't even know if he really is so much on the power trip. He's on this anger trip, and the the position of power gives him, um, you know, does does he have to beat? Uh, on the first night, Andy's in jail. No, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, fat ass gets beaten to death. Does he have to beat him to death? Um, even Boggs, you know, uh, because now Andy's done him a favor. When he finds out Boggs hurts Andy, he drags him out and beats him. Does he have to beat him to within an inch of his life? And no, but but he he's he's fueled by anger, and and sometimes you don't know the backstory. You don't know why he's angry. But, but sometimes that can be irredeemable. Yeah, I was even... Here's another thing I was thinking about for the first time today watching it was when I noticed that he... The the fat 
guy crying when he first gets to prison and he just beats him senseless and he dies from head, head wounds that night. Um, there's no reason to do that. He can be physical, he can be violent, because that, you know, in in context, that's what those guards do. So beat him up a bit, teach him a lesson, and teach him this is how it's going to be, enough of this. But man, what what is his point in going and completely beating the life out of him? Or within a within an inch of his life so that the life leaves him later, later that night? I guess setting an example to the rest of the prisoners, um, and that shows that he doesn't even think of a single life as having any value if it's just like a a pawn to be like, look, this is what'll happen to you if you step out of line. I I think I agree with you. I don't think there's anything really redeemable about him. Not that there, again, is necessarily about the warden, but it's more about there being uh, complexity or humanity underneath uh, the surface of the character. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And he, uh, it says at the end when he, uh, gets arrested um, he cried like a, a little girl mm-hmm. you know as they were taking him away um, and not probably because there was any humanity in him uh, but he lost but his position of, yeah yeah it, it's all over for all the years of abuse um, and murder really that he doled out I mean he was happy to shoot Tommy from the tower yeah you know, just another prisoner, just another assignment. Absolutely, I'll do that. Um, and now, it's ne- he's he's never been held accountable, and, and now it it comes home to roost. Um, and and just like, of course, you're happy to see the warden's ending. Um, you know, you're really happy. Uh, to me, even more happy to see how they get taken away and have to stand there and be read his rights and. Uh, Exactly, because the warden took the coward's way out, you know? He yeah. he didn't have to face punishment. Right. He, in a, in a way, obviously, losing your life is punishment, but he took the coward's way out. He, right. he made the choice himself to be like, I'm not going to face the punishment that I know would stay with me the rest of my life, which could be 30, 40 years, you know? Um, and which will be for Hadley, too, probably even more since he's younger. Um, again, that's why I just think the warden is a deeper character than, than Hadley. Um, but let's move on to some characters that we love because they're, they're fun, um, because they're good characters, uh, good morally, that is, even though they're convicts in the, in the context of the movie, they're good. Um, so let's, let's start by talking about, uh, Haywood. Haywood, I think he's like the goofball and the fun the fun character, the fun guy of the group who, you know, they're looking through the books and he reads, Alexandre, dumbass, and, <laughs> what? Oh, it's Dumas. You'd like that book, it's about a prison break. And then, better file that under educational too. Uh, it's just one of my favorite scenes. But it's all started by Haywood being Haywood. You know, he, he, searched for, he searches for rocks for Andy while he's in the hole and finds a a horse apple, you know, um, there, there's good motivations underneath, but he's kind of, he's kind of rough around the edges, but still just ultimately incredibly lovable. Yeah. He's got a good heart. Yeah. You know, he's kind of the comic relief a little bit, 
But like when they're up on the roof after they finished and they got the beer, you know, he's the one that sees Andy sitting in the corner without a beer and he brings right. him up and says, Hey, how about a cold one, Andy? You know? And, um, yeah. Uh, that, by the way, and, and, that's a good redemption moment, by the way, because like a quick redemption, because when the, the man first dies after Hadley beats him to death and they're talking about it at lunch and Andy says, what was it name? What was his name? And then Haywood says, what does it matter what his name was? He's dead. And then he and Andy get off on the wrong foot, but then he goes and offers him the beer. And it's kind of like a, we see eye to eye now. We're, we're equals. We're friends. Yeah, because it seems like they might be, you know, contentious characters. Yeah, yeah throughout. But it, but it quickly turns on that, uh, on that roof. You're right. So, um, you know, Haywood sitting in the library with earphones on singing country music <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, uh, feeling, you know, horrible that he gave Andy a length of rope. You know, when all of a sudden they all think, oh, no, is Andy about to kill himself or, or whatever? Um, so, yeah, Haywood and Haywood's the one also that Brooks grabs, um, you know, when when he thinks his only shot of staying in prison is to commit another crime he holds uh i don't know what what is it a letter opener or something to haywood's neck you know and you're like no no not haywood right (laughs) so yeah um so yeah he's he's kind of fun comic relief good-hearted you know he's got the stutter and everything which actually makes him you know more attractive to you and everything and yeah um and then floyd is similar because he's just another one of the the likable inmates in their little friend group and their little clique. Um, he doesn't. I don't think he has much to him as a character, and it's not like he's poorly written. He's just like another guy that's there that they have that they have fun with. Floyd's kind of got a fatherly air to him, mm-hmm. also. You know, he's he's kind of he towers over everybody else, but he's very calm. And um, again, you're trying to picture what what did he do. To get right. in prison, you know, um, but uh, yeah, he's he's not as prominent even as Haywood, but still likable and and just a good side character. And that's a good uh, segue into something I wanted to mention. That this is probably the best place to mention it. The only crimes you ever specifically learn is Andy and Red. You know, Red committed murder, and you know. How do you know Red committed murder? He said it. I just remember him saying that terrible thing. I did. I don't remember him ever saying murder. No, he says it. Andy asks him, and, and he says murder. Um, oh, okay. Um, earlier in the movie, just one of their chats. Yeah, But all right. You know, you know what Red did, and you know what Andy is in for, at least. He didn't do it. Um, right. But you don't, like you said, you don't know what anyone else did. You just know they're, yeah. they're convicts, and it seems like they're all there for life, because yeah. um, you don't hear... You would think there would be like a conversation about... Floyd's having his parole hearing. Let's see, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, but yeah. they're they're all they're all just there. They're all institutionalized, and they're in it for the long haul. And I think that I just wanted to bring up, and I thought it's it's good. It it works for the story that you only know what Andy did and what Red did, and because they're the two main characters that you focus on. And if you learn too much about the others, it might take the focus away from those two. Uh, but the others are just great characters to have around, um, especially Brooks and Tommy, who are the two that get the most development. 
um, and we can talk about them as the last two characters here. Uh, and we, we discussed Brooks a bit earlier, so there's not much more to say, but for some reason, Brooks and Jake, his bird Jake, that's always the kind of relationship that hurts me the most. It's like when you have to put old Yeller down, um, it's, it's an animal that's innocent. It doesn't know what's going on. It just likes its human. You know what I mean? And then Bert, or Brooks says, all right, Jake, it's time to let you go. That always just, that's always like a punch in the gut for me because for whatever reason, that's the kind of thing that always gets me. And then, you know, what chance did Brooks have on the outside uh, when he's writing the letter and it shows him sitting in the park feeding the birds and he says, I keep thinking Jake might show yeah. up, but he never does. And if, if Jake, which is impossible, of course, but if Jake had somehow showed up, that would have been enough to save him. Yeah. You know, that, that would have probably been enough to to keep him going and, and find a way. Um, and, you know, he was there the longest because, uh, you know, he said, oh, let's see, I came here in Ot 5 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, he's the oldest guy. Um, and sadly, he does become institutionalized and uh, incapable of making it on the outside. Um, uh, but he's an endearing character. Very much so. Uh, too. Um, and, and the most heartbreaking character, really. Yeah. Because of, as you said, the, the, the one guy who didn't want to get out, who had totally made peace with life on the inside and had everything set up just the way he needed it, um, is forced to give up his best friend, forced to leave, uh, forced to live in fear all alone on the outside, and tragically takes his own life. So, um, in a way, he's the saddest character, other than Tommy, um, who, uh, we can start talking about him now, I guess, um, comes to an even more tragic end, really, because he's introduced as having a wife and young child at home. Um, and he's given and, hope, again, like Red, because of Andy. Um, not only is he motivated because of his wife and child, but Andy shows him that he's more than just being a criminal. Because, right. <laughs> similar to his first interaction with Haywood, it's, it kind of starts off a bit contentious, where he goes, you don't seem like a very good criminal, maybe you should find a different career. Um, <laughs> but then he shows him, Here's an actual, you know, a life that you can have outside of crime. You can... Right, here's a path. Right, get in your high school equivalency, and then um, by the time he's killed, he has less than a year left on his sentence. Um, he's more than happy to, to vouch for Andy in court um, and get Andy out. Um, and he's just, you know, a lot of fun as a character. Yeah. I think you mentioned it earlier, but when he tells the stories, everyone sits around and just laughs at him he has the great story about if i drop the tv then you got me on destruction of property too you know (laughs) yeah he's just a super fun character with also the the deep themes of of his character uh under the surface so that i think we've covered all the main characters all the characters with major roles um unless you can think of any other character you wanted to quickly touch on well, it just bogs because, you know, um, I'm a believer in love your enemies and forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, always with consequences, of course. <laughs> but this movie, you know, uh, when when the warden, you know, gets it in the end, you're like, yeah, you know, 
And same thing with Hadley. And same thing with Boggs. I mean, in a way, Boggs is the most violent offender, the the, the worst offender, um, worse than Hadley or the warden. Um, the way that he abuses and, and uses uh, Andy. And uh, you you can maybe navigate life in prison somehow. And maybe you can stay out of the way of um, the guard who beats people and, and stay on his good side. But but there was no escaping uh, Bob's right. for Andy and, and, and the vilest way. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I don't like prison movies is I, I that's one of the elements I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he finally gets his comeuppance, um, you know, I, I I hate the feeling of vengeance, but it's it's like oh good, you know, uh, he he's going to have to suffer um, for the rest of his life for the horrible things that he did. And uh, again, the guy that plays him uh, is a great actor, does such a good job, but 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 the character itself is detestable, and um, you, you're happy when he gets his end. Is it necessarily vengeance, though? Because there's the line when Red and Andy are talking, and, and Andy said, would it help him to know that I'm not a homosexual? And Red says, neither is he. You're human, and he's not. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that he's quite literally not human, but at the same time, he has no regard for other people. Um, all he cares about is, seems like he cares about harming and making himself and his little buddies feel good. Um, it's not necessarily vengeance. It's just you have to pay a price for doing wrong. It's um, justice. I know. It, yeah, it's justice. justice. But, but, but I think sometimes we as humans have a hard time drawing the line between justice and vengeance. You know, and uh, um, I, I just don't like the feeling in me that yeah. emerges... Oh, good. You know, it's it's to me, it's like more than justice. <laughs> it's vengeance, and and we all know our own hearts, I suppose, to to know what we're feeling. But yeah, absolutely, he he deserves justice, and I want justice for Andy. I think it would be a little bit different if, like, in the scene when Andy fights back and he hits them with the uh, the film reels, if he had taken it too far and beat him senseless himself. But Andy's still. Yeah stood and turned the other cheek, you know, right. are the person that we're living vicariously through still does the right thing. Right. And then we still see justice being served. Um, but with that, let's move on to the top 10 moments in order of Shawshank Redemption as declared by the two of us. Um, and if you're, if you disagree, then you're wrong. And I'm sorry. No, obviously. Yeah, let's be honest here. They're primarily declared by you, and I'm just going along for the ride here. So yes, which is fine. It's your podcast. I love subjectivity because if you disagree, then I'm happy that you disagree and that you're thinking for yourself. Because that's one of the things I love to advocate for the most is forming your own opinions and thinking for yourself. Um, we came up with 13 total moments, so there's going to be three honorable mentions because I wanted to do wanted to do a top 10 uh, a countdown. So the three honorable mentions are Andy and Red talking about Randall Stevens, which is the the phantom that Andy conjured. 
um, to, to frame all the money laundering on so that if it if the money laundering gets found out then the warden doesn't get in trouble and Andy doesn't get in trouble it's this Randall Stevens character that Andy made up uh, just that that conversation in the library I just for, for some reason I love it every time it comes on um, then the moment that we mentioned earlier uh, sorting the books in the library when Haywood gets the name wrong and saying gotta file it under educational because it's a prison break book that's that's just a lot of fun uh, and then just the whole sequence with Tommy it's a big chunk and I'm playing fast and loose with top 10 scenes because it's more like top 10 sections of the movie um, but just the whole thing with Tommy is what I have as the third honorable mention so number 10 we have the scene on the roof we We've talked about most of these moments already, but we're we're just delineating the order right now. Number ten is on the roof. Andy, uh, I, I have it written down as Andy saying, "Do you love your wife?" to to Hadley. Which, why would you say it like that? Wouldn't Hadley just be like, "What are you talking about?" and throw him off the roof? Because Hadley is kind of susceptible to doing that sort of thing. Andy should have said something like, "I know a way to to save you." Because actually, he says Hadley's already about to say, throw him you, off. Yeah, uh, sorry to interrupt, but doesn't he say, "Do you trust your wife? Like, do you think she would oh, go yes, behind yes. your back and hamstring you?" So you're right. You, you're thinking that's not a smart way to start right. this conversation. You must know him well enough by now to know that this is bad. But uh, yeah, it's trust your wife, not love your wife. It's not far off. But my point still remains. Why would you? Yes. Why would you yeah. say that? Because he he only barely gets a chance to say. Because if you do, I can help you save your thirty five thousand. As he's half off the roof already. Right, right. But that that leading into the the guys enjoying the beer on the at sunset. That's just a great a great sequence. Um, number nine, meeting Red for the first time. Um, that's where Red decides that he likes Andy. Um, that's when you find out everyone in here is innocent. You know, uh, I, I just love that, that scene. And where Red's having a catch. Yep. Is he playing catch at that point? Yep. Yeah. And, and the behind the scenes is that Red's arm or Morgan Freeman basically had dead arm after that because it took them so long to shoot that scene. Right. Right. Yeah. Number eight is, uh, turning over the cell when, Hadley and the warden come in and, uh, you know, knock everything off of the shelves and turn over the mattress and everything. And the warden has the Bible with the the uh, the rock hammer in his hands, just doesn't open it. I, that's just high tension. And it's only, like, the tension is added once you've seen the movie and you understand the, the actual stakes of what's going on. Because at first it's just like, oh, Andy might have something, and then you find out that he doesn't. Like in your first viewing, you're like, okay, it's all good. But then you know that's where he's hiding the rock hammer, and that's you know, if the warden even just, oh, I I love this verse in Matthew, and went to turn to Matthew, and then finds out what's going on, then Andy's actually in big trouble. Um, I love that, and then leading into the line where he says, salvation lies within. Um, just the double meaning of that just the biblical meaning of salvation versus the salvation lies within the the very specific bible that one bible that he's holding is the rock hammer that leads to andy's eventual 
uh, salvation. And there's a few things like that that you don't recognize um, the the, uh, the significance of the scene or the moment until the end of the movie when you look back. You know, the warden could have found the Bible. He could have leaned on that poster right. and discovered how much ever he had already chipped away in the wall uh, to make the tunnel. Um, there's there's a there's a couple things like that that you're looking back and go, oh yeah, oh wow. But when, yeah, there was no tension really at that moment. You didn't expect he was going to find the hammer. So uh, that's kind of a, a clever um, vehicle that they've included in the movie also. Yeah. Um, number seven is when Andy plays the music for every every prisoner, every inmate in the prison yard. Um, I just love the idea of them experiencing the outside world in a way that they haven't in years don't they say like they hadn't heard music like that in forever and red says i don't i still don't know what that italian woman was singing about but i know i liked how it sounded or whatever it however he says it um it just brings their humanity back for a bit yeah and the fact that andy's not only going to play it for himself but he plays it for you know he puts it on the loudspeaker for the entire prison to hear he could have just sat in that office and played it for himself and that would have been enough but he sort of gave that gift to everyone at the same time it's kind of a middle finger to <laughs> the warden and all the guards because he understands that he's going to get in trouble for that but he has an opportunity to do it you know he locks the guard in the bathroom and mm -hmm. uh he he not only sort of blesses uh his uh, co-inmates but he also um uh, you know in in your face to to the warden and all the guards yeah and it just again demonstrates his selflessness where he helps red like we said he helps red he helps tommy um and there's just another example here number six uh this is one that you that you put down and we've talked about it a bunch so i don't think we have to spend more time on it here but the end of the warden um just the last thing that we haven't mentioned about that scene is i love the line from red in the narration where he says i like to think the last thing that went through the warden's mind other than that bullet was how andy had gotten the best of him and and the other thing that's kind of cool is he has the safe in the wall in his office where you know he hides all of the paperwork that andy has developed to cover up the money laundering and hiding the safe on the wall is a needlepoint that his wife made in church group yeah. that says, you know, judgment cometh and that right quickly, a scripture verse. And it's, you know, he's, he's a prison warden, so it's the perfect thing to have hanging on your wall. But in the end, like sort of like the last thing he does is they have this shot of him staring at that sign as he sees the newspaper headline, hears the sirens coming for him. Um, I think it's per they didn't have to have that, but it's perfect because it just uh, completely demonstrates that he knows what's happened and what is happening. And he never thought judgment was going to come for him. And it's about to come for him. Yeah, there's that uh, uh, along with the hypocrisy and, and um, corruption, there's just that extra sense of hubris also from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, number five 
is another one that you that you put in that interestingly i don't know if i would have put it so high but i wanted to take your opinion into account here so whatever you say about me making this list i kind of respected your your wishes here which is red finding the box that's where upon rewatches i just get giddy to get past that sequence and seeing red and andy reunite because it goes from red buying the compass to red going to the tree and for some reason in my mind red getting the compass should always directly lead to red and andy reuniting but there's still just that five minute five or ten minute section where red has to go and read the letter and find the rock that has no earthly business being there for whatever reason i just want to skip over that but the significance of it is is quite high well, I've read that their reunion at the very end was not originally included in the script or the filming. Um, that the movie ended with him on the bus, leaning out the window, saying, yeah, "I can hardly keep a thought in my head. Will you know? Will the water be as blue as it is in my dreams, and all that?" And that's how it ended originally. Mm-hmm. And so that gives the scene at the foot of the tree finding the box that much more significance because that's kind of his reuniting with Andy and that's where Andy reads you hear Andy reading the letter as Red reads it it's Andy's voice that you hear and and it's almost as if they've reunited he did the work he went to that you know main hayfield he dug he found the box and he has now reunited with Andy. And even if they didn't shoot that last scene on the beach, that might have been enough. Um, hearing Andy's voice and knowing that it was going to happen when he bought the bus ticket and got on the bus. Now, of course, I want that last scene where they see each other on the beach yeah. and embrace. Absolutely. And whoever decided to add that in made the right call for sure. But um, that wasn't originally the way it was going to end. Right. So I'll get to that in just a minute because uh, number three, I have Red and Andy in the prison yard. Um, That's the Andy. He's acting funny. Um, That's how Red describes it later on to to the rest of the guys. But that's the get busy living or get busy dying. And that's where Andy tells him where to find uh, the the letter and the money and the rock and the tree and all that um, that's just like a crucial pivotal scene um, and I think it has does he say hope is a good thing in that in that yeah no no oh he says it in no, the letter in the letter right but that's where Red says I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself Andy because Andy's talking about say Wataneo the mm-hmm. the place of no memory and how you know he asked Red, do you think you'll ever get out of here? Um, and, and, and this is where, I think this is where you can see the real love and respect they have for each other because they're kind of bearing their souls. Andy is almost preparing Red, you know, I'm going to go for it. He's not saying that, but he's preparing right. Red for either Andy succeeding or failing. You know, get busy living or get busy dying. Um and Red is like, Andy, I care about you too much to watch you torture yourself with hope. We're beyond hope here. This is our life. We'll be friends forever till we die here. 
he doesn't say that, but that seems to be what he is saying. Um, and so, yeah, I, in, in many ways, that is the pivotal scene of the movie because you get the sense that's where Andy decided, I'm going tonight. Get You know, it's 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 got to happen now. I can't do this anymore. Um, and that's where Red sort of expresses, I'd do anything for you, Andy. You know, mm-hmm. Red, do me a favor. If you ever get a, yeah, Andy, anything. And you could just see the eagerness in his eyes. I, he would. He'd lay down his life for Andy at that point. So, yeah, it is great. And that's where, you know, Andy uh, intentionally doesn't tell Red what's going to happen because he doesn't want him to, you know, if the authorities say, where did you go? Where, that's why uh, the warden says, I want to start with him, his friend. Right. Because yeah. if he knew, then he'd be in big trouble. Um, yeah. But you're right. He gives him the hint. Um, and he also gives him that last bit of hope because uh, later on when he escapes, that's when Red knows maybe there is some hope. Maybe there is reason to, to think about more than just being here. Because like you were just saying, Red Red says, there's no use in thinking about getting out of here. This is This is our life. But there is much use in thinking about getting out of there. Um, number two, I actually have the directly after the scene at the tree until the end of the movie because I, I knew about the that they wanted to cut it before the reunion but for me even red saying um i hope the ocean's as blue as i dream you know i hope i find my friend and then last is just i hope you know the, if it had ended on that it would be just as perfect to me Right. Because it has that feeling, you know. I'm getting chills talking about it. Just seeing, just seeing him on the bus and seeing his giddy face, uh, looking out the window. Uh, he said, "For the for the first time, or for the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime, parole violation." But they're not going to put up any roadblocks for an old crook like me. Um, I just love that whole thing. Um, and they actually, I'm pretty sure the. Frank Darabont, the director, didn't want to show them reuniting. The studio did want to show them reuniting. So they compromised yeah. by not showing, like, hey, Andy, how you doing? Let's play chess. Right. It's the, yeah. they look at each other and smile and embrace while the camera is way out in the in a helicopter shot. Um, so even without seeing them reunite, like, that's not what gets me. It's just the, I hope, as it pans out to showing the water and saying... You know, the message is the same either way. The ultimate message right. of the movie. Um, it really is just the, the feel-better, or the feel-good audience pleaser to show Red and Andy reunite on the beach with Andy on his old boat that he talked about buying. And then, of course, number one, the top moment is just finding out that that Andy's gone um, and learning how he did it. So it's... Uh, the scene of or the shot of the warden and and Hadley and Red all looking down the hole and just their face like oh my holy you know you realize you realize what's what's happened here leading up to Red explaining everything that happened um, you know that that leads up to the warden the warden's end and, and Hadley being taken off but just finding out how Andy meticulously did it over decades. Uh, it's one of the best movie 
twists and movie endings of all time. Right, because in the beginning when he asked for the rock hammer and Red is afraid to give it to him because he thinks he's going to try to use it to break out. And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. You could never break out with this thing. Mm -hmm. He's just going to carve, you know, chess pieces out of rock. Ironically, in the end, it's exactly what he wanted it for. He was was chiseling it away at his wall for over 20 years. And um, like you said much earlier, you know, the patience that Andy shows, he has the big picture in mind whereas the warden wants the immediate um, gratification of the money and and the laundering and all that kind of stuff Andy's got the big picture and when Red says you know when narrating uh, what was the last thing that went through the warden's mind is how the hell did Andy Dufresne get the better of me because Andy had the big picture and he was willing to chip away literally for over 20 years and you know what else is literally Um, he literally had a big picture. <laughs> yeah, covering what was going on. Yeah. But but that's what the movie is about. It's about the big picture and the long haul and the perseverance and patience leading to redemption. Both in Andy and in Red. Red was not as proactive in a sense. He wasn't chipping away, but he was learning how to survive on the inside. I'm somebody on the inside. I'm the man who can get you yeah. things. You know, he he learned how to um, play the hand that was dealt him. And uh, Andy became a gift to him because Andy had sort of a different approach, chipping away underneath the big picture, um, even as the big picture changed several times yeah. all those years from Rita Hayworth to ultimately Raquel Welch. Um, I will add a little correction. You said... That he wanted the rock hammer to chisel his way out. He didn't realize he could chisel his way out until afterwards. True. Yeah, that's true. He, he just wanted to make chess pieces. Carve his name in the wall, which is how he discovered that the rock hammer could be more. That's true. Right. He just wanted to make chess pieces. And then, you know, the rock hammer is the catalyst for all of his own hope. Right. You know, if he never got that and never started carving his own name into the wall, then he never would have realized you know, that he has the ability to get out the way that he, the way he did. Um, so there's our top 10. Uh, let's move on to our favorite themes. And we've hit on a lot of these. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this, but there's a few things I do want to mess, do want to mention. Um, obviously we've talked enough about hope. I don't think there's anything else to mention. It's, it's the movie's main theme it's pretty much the the thesis sentence is hope is a good thing maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies in the letter that andy writes to red i don't know if i don't have anything else to add about it because we've it's pretty much been at the center of all of our conversation so far because it's so central to the movie do you have anything else to add about hope i think we've pretty much covered it yeah as well as uh all of the inmates being institutionalized I'm surprised I've made it through that word so many times um, because I tend to stutter on big, big things like that. Um, friendship also, you know, these are things that we've hit on that I just wanted to mention as parts of the themes. And this is what I think the movie does so well is that it balances so many themes, like about a dozen themes that it explores and explores in depth. Um, and I think that's 
part of what makes the movie so great and so lasting. Uh, you can, if you want to watch it and focus on the dehumanizing inmates, you can just focus on that and learn a lot from this movie. You can focus on hypocrisy or corruption. You can focus on friendship. You can focus on, on hope. Um, man, there's just so many different things to think about when it comes to this movie. Um, the biggest thing I wanted to, to talk about, uh, I mentioned earlier we were going to get into it a little bit more deeply. Um, I think these days I'm... We, this, this is where we don't have to get too de deep into it, but I do want to mention it in this sense. I've been thinking a lot of... Anytime that there's like hypocrisy or corruption, I've just been drawing the parallel to just uh, current events. Um, and I was thinking about just the hypocrisy and corruption specifically through the lens of religiosity, just like the way the warden uh, uh, on the surface said he was a Christian, but only God can judge his heart. You know what I mean? Um, and I just saw a lot of parallels to current events. And I, I without getting specific, just wanted to mention that. Um, I've discussed themes a lot here in the last couple minutes, so I'm going to give you a chance to talk now. Yeah, um, hypocrisy is uh, prevalent in the movie through the warden, and um, it does have a lot to say in many ways to what's going on in current events. Um, but as you said, we don't want to get into that probably too deeply, but... I think that's something you find. Uh, there's always someone in your life like that, mm -hmm. it seems. And and you try hard uh, not to slide into that because it's we all probably do to one degree or another from time to time. Um, but it's such a stark... Um, you almost think that, that the warden believes in God and, and does believe uh, in Scripture in some ways. But is, as you said, has developed such hubris, such arrogance that he thinks he's kind of above it all and he can be the good man of God and still justified in doing all this other stuff on the side. Right. And uh, you can't do that. It's, and it's, it's dangerous. Um, as far as the, you know, the many themes in the movie, uh, to me, again, not to get uh, too repetitious, but it's friendship and community. There's a, there's a part of you who wants the community that Red and Andy and Floyd and Haywood and Brooks uh, and eventually Tommy all enjoyed. Um, and it's because they, not just that, I mean, they've got, they've got a common location to be sure, but a common purpose. Um, they've got to survive uh, on the inside, institutionalized. And... Um, they could all be angry, um, like Hadley. They could all be perverted, uh, like Boggs. They could all be arrogant, like the warden, because that's what develops in communities, whether it's in a, a work environment, a family, a prison. You know, those kind of hierarchies and things like that do develop. But these guys are good guys. And there's something about you that doesn't want to say that about a, a convicted criminal of whatever kind. But they're human beings. They're good guys. They're living together in community. And the community that they enjoy is almost enviable. And certainly 
the friendship between Andy and Red is enviable. And I think that's why we keep watching it over and over and over. Right. I just enjoy that dynamic, the community and the friendship. And it's a great story. Yeah, because there's enough positive themes, like you were just saying, the community and friendship and redemption and hope uh, that you can get the feel-good messages while also learning about uh, negative things in the world, such as hypocrisy or corruption or being institutionalized, you know, or anything like that. I also wanted to bring up just the passage of time. So much time goes by. Um, these guys age 20-something years, and they have to, uh, you know, do something to keep their minds busy. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, you try to comprehend what 20 years in prison might be like. Um, and I think this kind of gives a good picture of it, even though it's only two and a half hours. Just through the way they talk about it, just doing anything to keep your mind occupied, how just the smallest things um, give them pleasure, just from hearing the songs or having a couple new books to read um, or just having a project in general. I'm here in my life just overstimulated with way too much stuff to have my attention, way too many things pulling me in every direction. But these guys are searching just for the one thing that'll give them some sort of purpose other than, you know, getting up and doing the same thing every day for the rest of their lives. Um, even that's why they, uh, they're they so eager to, to volunteer to go to the roof at the beginning because it's just a change from doing something different. Being out in the sun in May, that's something... I did that every day this year, you know? Just if I didn't go swimming or something, I just went on a walk. Um, you take it for granted. You don't think about it. But these guys... It's it's a privilege to them to be able to do that, and you don't you don't think about that kind of thing, um, and it kind of ties into the idea of them being dehumanized, because something I always makes me sad, like watching army movies, is or war movies, like specifically I watched Full Metal Jacket a few months ago, um, and the whole point of that movie is how in the army you're stripped of your identity and all you're all you are is just like a piece in this game of war um i think of that and just like taking identity and humanness away from people even i was watching remember the titans the other day um and when they're at their football camp it's the same thing you're you're not supposed to think of yourself you're supposed to think of the team um just the idea of taking identity away um, and I like to be able to see here in Shawshank, like you were talking about, oftentimes it's just these bad guys in prison, but you realize they're humans, they're people just like everyone else, and there's so much more to them. Um, so that that's what I took away from it the most this last time I watched it, um, when I set, sat down and intentionally tried to gather what I could thematically from it uh, that I maybe hadn't in the past. It just it, it makes me happy that this is the number one film on IMDb still. Um, such, you know, like we said in the beginning, it doesn't have special effects. It's not a thriller. 
It doesn't have a, a romantic interest. Um, but it's got depth. It's got dialogue. It, it presents hope. It has uh, reality. You know, Brooks taking his life. Um, it has justice. Um, and it's got a happy ending. Um, and, and, and I'm glad that a movie like this you know, in the eyes of many, is the best movie. Yeah, one spot ahead of The Godfather, which checks a lot of the boxes that you said this one doesn't check. Um, and I love The Godfather. I have The Godfather in my right. top favorite movies of all time, but I but it's not number seven on my all-time favorite movies because once you get, you know, I have 56 or 60 total movies on my favorite movies of all time list. You know, the back two-thirds of it are like movies I think are great and I can watch a lot but they're not necessarily the feel-good endings um once you get into my top 15 20 that's when most of my movies are the feel-good makes me have vigor for life you know um and that's what Shawshank is able to do and I'm uh like 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 I said I love The Godfather but I I'm so happy that Shawshank is number one, just like you said. So with that, I think we are at the end of this podcast. We've spent about an hour and a half talking about the Shawshank Redemption and why it's one of the greatest movies of all time and one of our favorite movies of all time. Um, so I just want to say, Dad, Mark, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining me to take such a deep dive into this excellent movie. I hope you'll think of another one for me to join you on at some point again during the future. At some point, I'm sure I'll think of something. Um, I, I love taking these deep dives. And just as a little bit of a podcast announcement, probably starting in 2021, I have the rest of this year planned out, but starting next year, there's going to be more episodes like this. Not necessarily with you, um, not all with you, but I'm, I'm going to start focusing more on just one or two movies instead of uh, the vastness so we can you know, learn more about what, what people are trying to say through, through the art of film. Um, but with that, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Rob's thoughts, Instagram, Robert's thoughts, roberts-thoughts.com has all my, my blogs, um, all my blog posts. I'm going to have thoughts today on Shawshank. Uh, it's going to be the corresponding blog post. It's going to be a recasting of this movie. Um, and not only recasting, but some, some extra thoughts on it as well. I did, I did recast Shawshank a couple years back, but that was before I migrated my site, um, and got my own domain and I'm going to be changing it up a bit. So go ahead and check that out because I think recasting is fun. Um, and I hope that you do too. My next episode is going to be with Laura. We're going to be talking about the before trilogy, Richard Linklater, uh, directed three movies over the course of 30 years with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. We love those movies, and we're going to be diving deep into those. Um, But at this point, that's the end of the episode. I want to say thanks to you, Mark, Dad, for coming on. Thanks again for having me, and remember, hope is a good thing, and no good thing ever dies. Yes, and I also want to say thanks to Luke for the artwork, thanks to Laura for the intro and outro music, and thank you to you for listening. So until next time, just remember, as well as what my father just said, you better get busy living or get busy dying.